chapter 3. We're going to continue our study in Judges chapter 3. And I appreciate you being here. I just want to say I really enjoy uh, this past Easter Sunday morning service. I just, I tell you, it was a blessing to me. I hope it was a blessing to you seeing a lot of people here and uh, just get an opportunity to get to uh, share Christ with people and to see you, everyone fellowshipping together. It really encouraged my heart, and uh, it was great. It was said nobody showed up Sunday night. We didn't have service Sunday night. So some of you are like, oh, no, no, we didn't have church. So, But anyhow, and then last uh, Wednesday evening, I appreciate Brother Jeremy stepping in for me uh, to preach. I got asked to uh, do the gift box. If some of you remember that object lesson that I do uh, a lot of times with kids uh, from over at Mount Pleasant. There was a soccer family that came to our soccer night this past October, and uh, they saw me do that object lesson talking about the gift of God and everything we receive in Christ when we receive Christ as our Savior. And, and they called and said, is there any chance you can come share that? And they had about 40 people cram in over there, and it was just a blessing. And I hope it was to them. And I appreciate, like I said, Jeremy and everybody that uh, does for everything they do here faithfully uh, in that. Well, this evening we're going to continue in Judges. In Judges chapter number 3, in the first week, we really just talked a lot about the main theme of the book of Judges, which is actually found in the very last verse of the book of Judges. And it says, And in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. You see that in chapter 18, I believe, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. And then again, the very last one, mentioning that there was no king in Israel. This is a time that it says the children of Israel, dwelt, children of Israel excuse me, dwelt in tents. They lived in tents, and they kind of, kind of nomads a little bit, if you will, for these uh, few hundred years that they did that. And during that time, they're in the promised land. They're in the land that floweth with milk and honey. They're in everything that God promised them. But they failed to do what God asked them to do. Remember when it crossed the Jordan River and they're in, in the promised land? What did God tell Joshua to lead them in doing? Conquer everyone else and drive them out. Don't leave any other people there because if you do, they're going to turn your heart from me. Well, of course, the children of Israel didn't obey God. And because of that, it says, as we looked at the very first week, it says that there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. And it's really hard to believe that there was a generation after everything through the Red Sea and the manna and the Jordan River and everything that would happen, that there arose a generation that forgot or forsook the, forsook the Lord. And we looked at, uh, the last time we met together, the very first judge, uh, Othniel. And Othniel was somebody, I think, it jokes with me. I think it was Justin said, I've never heard a message on Othniel. So that was the best and worst message he ever heard on Othniel because it's the only one we ever heard. And, uh, and you know, we looked at Othniel as his judge and how he helped deliver the people. And what happened is, and if you look at the board up here, and I know I had it up a few weeks ago, but you see in the whole book of Judges, you see what we call a cycle of sin or a cycle of their relationship with God. And this is a cycle I don't believe is just true for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. I believe this is very relevant for today. It says that the children of Israel served God and they had peace. But after a while, they fell into sin. They started worshiping other idols and they actually went into idolatry. And during this time period is actually when it says they gave their sons and their daughters to marry the sons and the daughters of the heathen, those that worship false gods. And you know what I read and I find interesting in the book of Judges? Never one time do I read to where a son or daughter of Israel that married a son or daughter of those that worship false gods ever win them over. Almost all the time I read about them drawing them, for, drawing them away from God. And so we see where they fall into sin and so they fell into sin and idols, and because of that, God allowed them to be oppressed by people. The very people that are there to conquer end up being the ones that oppress them. 
We looked at that uh, a couple weeks ago when we met, and we talked about that guy with a really fun name uh, there, and I believe it's chapter number three, uh, Kushan Rizhatham, would just mean very, very evil man. He was a very, very, very evil man. And we see how they were oppressed, and they were actually slaves like they were in Egypt for eight years. And then for eight years they did it, and then finally they cried out to the Lord. And when they cried out to the Lord, God would raise up a deliverer. And, and this, these deliverers, these men and women that were deliverers that we'll see in the coming weeks uh, ahead, is that they would be one of different parts. They would be a prophet, or they would be a priest, or they would be a warrior. Not all of them were warriors, but not all of them were prophets, not all of them were priests. But what's wonderful is that the deliverer is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, how he is our warrior, he fights for us, he is our prophet, he is our priest, he is our king. And so we see how this happened. They would cry out to God, God would send deliver, and they would have peace. And you see this over and over again, all for basically about 300 years is what would happen. And so we started looking at that, and we see how earlier in chapter 3 how God used Othniel. And I'd like to read just a few verses here tonight. We're not going to do through the whole part here with this particular judge. We don't have time for that. So we're going to break it up a little bit. But anyways, Othniel was the nephew of Caleb, if you remember Caleb. So kind of remember that. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 3, And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So that peace for 40 years. Verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the, the son of Gura, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, the king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. Wouldn't you love for that to be the story of your life throughout eternity? Eglon was not just fat, but he was a very, very fat man to be said there. And there's more in this passage. We're not going to get to all of it tonight, but I encourage you, sometime read through the rest of it till you get to uh, verse number 30, the next to last verse. It gives the account of the judge of Ehud. But let's pray, and then we'll get into our passage. Father, just come to you this evening. Thank you, Lord, so much for the day. And uh, Lord, thank you for the men and women that are here tonight, Lord. I know uh, by working and, and the things they have going on in their lives and their families and their jobs and travel, Lord, I just pray you bless them for their faithfulness. Lord, bless them for their sacrifice. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you might speak through your word. Lord, I do ask that you might use me in spite of me. Forgive me of my sins and where I fail you even today. And Lord, as we look at this Old Testament book, but Lord, I thank you that the word of God is just as relevant today as it was then. Lord, may we apply our hearts into wisdom and our hearts into knowledge. And Lord, I just pray you to speak through your word. Thank you again for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. And so, as I mentioned, you have this judge. And as we said, we got this cycle of sin in Israel and this cycle of what they would do over and over and over again. And so what happened is, of course, we said Othniel came, so they were oppressed by Cushan, as it says in the earlier part of chapter 3, for eight years. And then God, when they cried out to God, he raised up Othniel, and then God gave them peace. And if you look in verse number 11, look how long he gave them peace. He gave them peace for 40 years. 
So basically, as long as Othniel was alive. But then it says something very interesting at the end of verse number 11. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So as long as Othniel was alive, they had peace. And look at the beginning of verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So it tells me something I believe is very true in my life a lot of times too. Is that a lot of times we soon forget the blessings of God and the goodness of God in our life. We forget sometimes really how sinful we are and how wicked our hearts are, but how much mercy and how much grace God gives. They had peace for 40 years, and then Othniel dies. And in verse number 12, if you really study it thoroughly, they didn't just fall back into sin. They fell deeper than what they were under Othniel. They fell into deeper sin. They fell into more, not just allowing idols to be up, but they were worshiping full-blown temples, everything that you can make up to worship these false gods. They had really given themselves into this deeper sin. And they really took for granted God's mercy because as we talk about here, I mean, they are oppressed again. I mean, Cushan was a very evil, evil man. And we see God's mercy here. And really, they took God's mercy for granted. And really, I think sometimes I'm the same boat. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes you just feel like, well, I can just pray and ask God to forgive me and I'm okay. And that's the way we do things a lot of times. Well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm not going to lose my salvation. So I guess I can just pray and ask forgiveness. And if I pray and ask forgiveness, I'm good. So I can go on. So we really, really abuse a license to sin, if you would, as it talks about in Galatians, about not having freedom unto sin, but freedom unto righteousness into our life in Christ. And so a lot of times we do that because we're not real worried about the consequences. Obviously, the children of Israel were... For, have forgotten and now had forgotten about the grace of God and weren't worried about it. And we see in verse number 12, it says, And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 13, And he gathered to him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So they fell prey to their enemies. And if you see something, I don't know if this jumped out at you in our reading, but there's some part of verse 12 that to me just kind of screams at me. So look in the middle of verse 12. And the Lord strengthened Eglon. Eglon's not a believer. Eglon's not a picture of righteousness. Eglon's not a deliverer. Eglon is the picture of sin and being a sin master is what he's the picture of. And it says the Lord strengthened Eglon. I have written in the margin of my Bible, so I try not to forget is this, is that the Lord will do what's needed to get his children's attention. That the Lord will do whatever's needed to get my attention as a child of God. And the Lord will do the same thing in your life. God will do, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, when we fall into sin and go our own way and we're not repentant, please understand what I mean by that. I ain't saying we sin and we say we're sorry and God pours out wrath. What I'm saying is when we go in that direction or stay in that sin, then you know what? God, if you're a child of God, God will do whatever's needed to get you back in the fold, so to speak, to get you going back in the right direction. And it says to this part here that who is Eglon? He is not a friend of Israel. He is the enemy of Israel. And here you have God strengthening the enemy of Israel. Why? Because they're sinning. In all the end of verse number 12, it says they had done evil. It didn't say they did a little bad. It says they did evil. 
in the sight of the Lord. And, and have that thought in mind that the Lord will do what's needed to, uh, to get his children's attention over in uh, the book of Hebrews, if you'd like to turn there. Hold your place there in Judges, if you would. But over in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. In Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, if you start reading, I like to read about five verses here. But verse number 6, and talking with the idea that the Lord will do what's needed to bring us back, so to speak, as being his child. It says, verse 6 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, For, the, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without, without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us as after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If you really read that passage, and what do we normally do when we talk about chastening? We just read verse 6, right? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There's a pretty interesting principle right here. And it's something I think it's, we should give attention to is this. He says in this passage here, if you're a child of God and the children of Israel by being God's chosen people, by being the children of God, He's saying here, because he loves them, he's going to chasten them. And what Paul is telling in the book of Hebrews here, I believe it's Paul, my opinion, it says if the Lord loves them, he chastens them. He says if he doesn't love them, he doesn't chasten them. But if you notice there in verse 7 of, of Hebrews 12, he says, God dealeth with us as sons, but, but what if God doesn't chasten you? What if you, what if I live in sin, continue in sin, enjoy our sin, have no repentance at all of our sin, have no, no care in the world of, of returning from sin, but we never see God chastening us. Paul says, hmm, you might want to make sure you're a child of God. And you know what? You say, Brother Phil, that's pretty strong language. That's right. Because a lot of people that claim to be a Christian that are not children of God. And you say, what's the evidence of that? The evidence is this, of living our life in such a way that's evil in the sight of the Lord, like it says back here in Judges chapter 3, that we do evil and continue in evil with no desire to turn from evil, and we love evil, and we follow evil, and we have no desire to follow the Lord, and there is no chastening of God. I dare say make, make, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you are a child of God. Because he says, you know, why does the Lord do that? He, he only chastens those that are his children. And to understand that, and, and I know this is a little bit of a side note, but I just want to encourage you, is that even the more God ought to use us to help in the right attitude and right spirit to those that are in sin, and as we're going to look at here, long-term sin that we get in our life, when we have unrepentant sin and we have family members with unrepentant sin and friends of unrepentant sin, but they claim that some way back day they prayed a prayer and got saved, but there is no change in their life, I, I tell you, I'd admonish them to make sure they know Christ. I'd admonish them. I'd encourage them. I implore them. You're saying, Phil, you're telling them they're not saved. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says here. The Bible says, 
if you're the Lord's, he will chasten. But if we're not the Lord's, he won't. He'll let them go. Because we're not. So it's something to think about there. And so in this passage here of Scripture, he says he gets to the point for us as believers that if I continue in sin and I'm a believer, then the very things that, that, uh, that are sin in my life, that are the enemies of my life, the Lord will strengthen those things to oppress me. He'll strengthen those things. And I don't want the things that are enemies in my life to have the upper hand on me, to have control in my life. Uh, by the way, if, just to continue going from there, if when you look down... And you look at this passage, he's the king of Moab. And, and there's part of the reason we're going through Judges on Wednesday night, because the kids aren't in here. But Moab, the actual human, Moab, was the son of Lot's daughters. If you remember correctly, whenever Lot and his wife and his daughters fled Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the angel said, don't look back. And remember Lot's wife, it says she turned and looked back. She turned to a pillar of salt. And, and Lot and his daughters escaped. Moab is actually the son of an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters. They got him drunk and said, we, we feel like we need to, you know, our, our father's not going to have any more children, so we need to get him drunk. We both have children by him, and we'll keep our father's name alive. And we think this is what's right thing to do. Obviously, that's contrary to Scripture. But it's the same thing they're doing in Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. By the way, let me just throw this out at you as a side note. If you start justifying things in your mind that are contrary to the word of God, take some woe. Take some concern. When you start saying, well, that's not that bad. I don't really, is that really wrong? I know the Bible says that, but be careful when you step into that. Because that decision by Lot's daughters and Lot, we have Moab today. The children of Moab. Not only that. I don't know if you noticed the next name down here in, in the chapter number 13. It, verse number 13, excuse me, it says, And he granted, he gathered the children of Ammon. Ammon was the other child of Lot's other daughter. So you got Moab and you got Ammon. That neither one of them would have had any descendants if it wasn't for a sinful choice there. Can I encourage you if you get nothing else out of it tonight? That when we step out of God's will and God's plan and sin... We are not just taking the opportunity to damage and hurt our own soul, but to those that follow us for years and years to come. We really can. So now, because of that decision way back in Genesis, now you have these descendants of these two people that are oppressing God's people. Not only that, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think it's a coincidence. Do you see the other name in, in, in verse 13? Amalek. You know what Amalek is? It's the descendants of Esau. It's the descendants of Esau. So everywhere you turn here, it's sin. It's constantly the thorn in the flesh to the children of Israel. It's constantly, constantly the thorn in the flesh in that. Uh, Mr. Sells used to always say this. He'd say, past sin does mean present suffering. And that's something we always need to remember. That my present suffering is probably because of my past sin. So if I don't want future suffering, I might want to be careful of the present sin in my lap. Because past sin does mean present suffering. doesn't mean we won't, can't get forgiveness, but we need to be careful that we don't mess up the lives of other people that follow. And can you just imagine for a moment? So, so they're starting, they fall into sin here, and they start worshiping other idols, and then it says Eglon and uh, the king of Moab and Amalek and the, the people of Amalek and people of Ammon, they oppress them. So who's really oppressing them? Their relatives. Their own 
distant family, if you would, is, is basically oppressing them. And, and if you can think about that, these descendants of Esau. And when you look at this, it's even something a little bit more interesting, I find. At the end of verse 13, look what it says. And it says in, in verse 13, And these people went and, went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. Now you say, Phil, who cares about that? I have studied that up. You know what the city of palm trees is? Jericho. What's the first city that God gave them a miraculous victory over their enemies when they crossed, crossed the Jordan River? Jericho. So the place at one time they saw God's miracles and God's mercy. Remember they marched around the walls. You remember that? And the walls came down and they defeated without drawing a sword. The place that was at one time God's victory in their life, God's blessing in their life, God's mercy in their life, had now become the place to where now their enemies control them. And you say, well, what's the big deal? How's that relevant? What it is, is tonight's topic is basically this idea is, how do we get victory over long-term sin in our life? Long-term. I'm saying, how do we get victory over what we call the besetting sins? I'm talking about sins that we battle, you battle, I battle, whatever it may be. It's long-term. It seems like as long as you're breathing in and out, you're constantly getting victory, and then it's coming back. You're getting victory, and it's coming back. We all have those. And that's what I find so sad in this passage is, is that Jericho was a marker of, look what God has done. And now, because of their sin, the very place they got victory, now they're slave to. And I take that as this in my life, that God has given me victory over sins and things in my life. And you know what? If I'm not careful, I fall into sin and I get oppressed by the very thing that God's already given me victory over. I don't know if you ever do that. I don't know if God gives you victory over something in your life, but later on you forget, later on you fulfill your flesh like I do, and I find myself oppressed to the very thing that God's already unshackled me from. And I find myself falling back into it. And when we see here, they that defeat that they suffered at the city of Palms and that Jericho and that place there. And that once was a place that God's people, now the enemies had taken it back. And I want to encourage you, everyone, everyone in this room has besetting sin. If you're like me, besetting sins, plural, okay? And God has given us victory and we run right back to it. We run right back to it. And we do things and they get control over us again. And, and what the verse is talking about here in verses number 13 and 14, it says, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. What had happened was, is this, is that Eglon had come and he had blocked them right at Jericho so they couldn't cross back and forth. If you remember, not all the children of Israel crossed over Jordan. Some of them stayed on the other side. So now Eglon is in between them going back and forth in passage and helping each other and being unified together and fighting together. All that's been blocked. All that place of victory is now, now a stronghold for Eglon. And when you see this in verse 14, it says this. It says the children of Israel served Eglon. It doesn't say they were oppressed. Oppressed means you could be all right and people come and attack and then they leave. It says they served. That means the what? Eglon was their king. They, that, that means this, to get the understanding. That means they paid him monetarily every year. Or ever how often it was. That he charged them for merchandise. The fruit of their land. And get this, this is something I, in really studying this and, and understanding the passage more that we won't get into tonight, it talks about this. That this is God's 
promised land, right? So they're working in the promised land. So now because they fell into sin and Eglon's in charge, they're working in the promised land. They're sowing, they're working, they're reaping, they're graining the fruit of the promised land. And guess what they're having to do with everything that they reap? Here, Eglon. Give it to him. And when you read that, it says they served him for 14 years. Why? Verse 12. They did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The first time we studied a couple weeks ago about Othniel, how long did they serve Cushan? Eight years. This is how I know that their sin this time was deeper. They served for 18. 18 years. And finally, you get verse number 15 where it says, But when the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a, left hand, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present in, unto Moab, the king of, uh, unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And we'll get into more of that here in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. Why do you think sometimes us as Christians, whom God has redeemed by his blood, why do we serve sin? The children of Israel served Eglon. Eglon's a picture of sin. That's what he is. Why is it that we, that are Christians, that are uh, bought with the precious blood of Christ, that we're saved, why is it that we serve sin? Why do we serve sin so long? I wrote a few things down here. I think we serve sin because we get used to it. We used to it. it becomes part of our life, right? Pretty sure I can know my habit going to bed tonight. I've got a pretty good idea what my habit's going to be when I get up in the morning. Get up in the morning, brush my teeth, do everything like that, go, go in the uh, kitchen, make coffee. I already know I go. I got a ritual where I open all the blinds because I like sunshine coming in the house. You know, so it's time to wake all the rest of God's children up. I do that all, do those things. I walk through. I do all these little things that I do. It's habit. We can serve sin so long it becomes part of us, that what we do. It's part of the habit. It's part of what we do. We get used to it. Not only do we get used to it, why do we serve sin so long? We tolerate it. We tolerate it. We tolerate it in our lives. And not only that, let's just be honest, sometimes we serve sin so long we don't know how to get out of it. We don't know how to break that cycle. We don't know how to break that chain. But what I love about this passage, and you're going to understand quickly why we're not going to get through all of Ehud tonight, okay, is this passage gives me hope. And I mean that by this. And I have this written to me, but I have it in the notes for everybody. Phil, just because you have been or you are currently a servant of sin doesn't mean that I have to continue serving sin. Just because right now in my life I'm maybe in a sinful state, or let's just be honest, maybe in my life right now I'm serving sin, I'm serving whatever that besetting long-term sin is, doesn't mean I have to stay there. There's a lot of Christians that are happy staying with their sin because they don't know how they can get out of it. You ever meet somebody in a situation of life, and they say, I would love to change my situation, I would love to change my status, but I don't know how to. Don't know how to. And we're going to look at some of those things here in just a moment about that. But how do we get deliverance from long-term sin? And that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks. But how do we get deliverance from long-term sin? And, and, you know, I dare say I'm talking tonight to people that may not just serve sin, but maybe tonight you're in the category where you're a slave to sin. Maybe you're kind of like the children of Israel that served Eglon. You're no longer in control. You say, well, I don't serve sin. Oh, yeah, then is it, it's part of your life, right? And you can't change it. And it's always, you know, you're, you're no longer the one in control. 
And don't we always do that? Oh, that's no big deal. I'm in control. I can do this. But yet, we find ourselves slaves to it. And you know, it's not surprising today to find people that struggle with addictions or people that struggle with pornography or struggle with jealousy or struggle with pride or struggle with forgiving people or struggle with bitterness. Or let's just be honest, it's, it's really not unusual to find people that have no lack of desire for the things of God. But it's very disheartening to find those people claim to be children of God. It's very disheartening to find those people that claim to be children of God and have those things that I just mentioned as their slave master, that have them in control. And I fall into that same thing. So I've kind of come to this conclusion that if I've struggled with it so long, sometimes I just say this, well, I'm struggling with it. It's just the way it's always going to be. That's what God's will is for my life. God's will is never for your life to have sin as a slave master. We all will have sins that constantly pull at us, but it is never God's will for you in your life to constantly be a slave to a certain sin. It's not. You say, well, Phil, I'm just a habitual liar. Every time I open my mouth, I just lie. I just exaggerate. So as long as I live, that's my cross I'm going to bear. I'm going to be a liar. No, you might battle for the rest of your life telling the truth. But God does not say, well, he's just always going to be a liar. She's just always going to be a liar. No, you've got to fight that. You've got to battle it. How do you get victory? How do we get victory over these things in this? And, and, and back where we were there, you don't have to turn back there. But, you know, it talks about in Hebrews 12, 1, it's talking about that we shall, wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, say, let, us aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us there. Same chapter you get about for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth in Hebrews 12. You get the very first verse saying, he says, let's lay aside and put away that sin that doth beset us, that besetting sin. It's not a passing frenzy, if you will, but we frequently battle it. And it's getting the best of you. And it's getting the best of me. And, and really tonight, this really just really hit me in the face. Because I feel like this is where every person is. If you say, Phil, I don't struggle with sin at all in my life. That's amazing. Okay? I mean, that's just, I want to take your pulse. Okay? You know, I don't struggle with any sin in my life. I think we all are going to battle sin. But in our lives, sometimes we can't find a way out of it. And tonight, I just have the first point, and that's all I'm going to give you. Okay? But how do we get deliverance from long-term sin? I think we can get it from this passage. We'll look at the other things later another week. But I think the very first thing is this. How do we get victory of long-term sin? Number one is this. It begins with a desperate cry. It begins with a desperate cry. Look, so all of this through verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But look at verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Do you notice what it says? When they cried out, the Lord raised up. Then say, they cried out to the Lord, and ten years later, God sent a deliverer. Doesn't say that. So that lets me know something, that God desires them to be delivered, right? God will work immediately when they desperately and genuinely cry out to God. So that means something. Before God would ever deliver them from their long-term oppressor, they had to cry out to God. There had to be a desperation. And can I tell you, if you want deliverance from whatever your long-term sin is, you've got to learn to cry out to the Lord. You've got to be honest with it. Whatever it is in your life, ask yourself, when's the last time, and I'm just going to throw something out for, for me, okay? Whatever it may be. God, I'm prideful. 
I'm a prideful, prideful person. God, forgive me of that. God, help me. God, I know I'm that way. God, I know you hate it. When's the last time you were that honest with whatever it is? I'm just using pride as an example. God, I cannot change the way I am. But God, I need you to help me get the pride out of my life. God, I need you to help me get the pornography out of my life. God, I need you to help me get the anger out of my life. Whatever it is. We don't get desperate for, for God. Because as long as it doesn't feel like in our sense it's out of control, we just keep on cruising. We just keep on cruising because we get comfortable with it. And can I tell you, just I know in my life, you can't do this by yourself. Whatever the long-term sin is like, you can't do it by yourself. You can't wiggle your way out. And if you're like me, the more I allow that sin to stay in my life and I don't desperately and honestly and completely just throw myself at God and say, this is how wretched I am, the days become weeks, the weeks become months, months become years, and next day you know it's your life. A lot of us get about this detailed with our sin. Lord, forgive me for saying that thing I shouldn't have said. Lord, forgive me for talking to that person the way I should have talked. Forgive me, Lord, for looking at that. I shouldn't have looked at that. Instead of being very specific about what my issue is or about what your issue is. Now, if you're in a financial need and you need like 70 bucks by the end of the day or your lights go off, you're probably not praying, Lord, if you'll just bless me today, that would be great. God, if you'll just bless me any way you want, you're going to say, God, I need $70. And God, I need it today, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm just begging you to give me $70 today if you'll do that. Okay, God, hey, this loved one is in surgery right now. I don't know how it's going to work, but I am begging you, God, to spare their life, give the doctors wisdom. You know, you get very specific. I get very specific when we need God. Same thing with sin. I don't get specific and desperate with God because I'm not really desperate for God to get me out of the sin. And that's where I think we are a lot of times. That's why we continue struggling with things. And we're like, yeah, that's bad, but we just slap it on the wrist instead of cutting the head off. The greatest part of David and Goliath is not David hitting him in the head with a stone. It's David finishing the job where he takes Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. Why did he do that? I mean, we, we don't tell the kids about him chopping the head off. We just like one little stone went in the sling and he knocked him down. You know why David went and got on top of Goliath and chopped his head off? He didn't want bad boy getting up. A lot of us are happy slinging rocks at it. And God says, why don't you go cut its head off? Go cut its head off. Oh, that was gory. That may mean I've got to be totally honest, and that's a little messy. But if I'm honest, I'm a messy, broken person. So are you. I don't care how good you think you are. You're a messy, broken person. When we compare ourselves to a holy, pure God that knows every thought, that knows everything, that knows even our motives. And to cry out to him, <coughs> excuse me, in that. And it says they did evil again, and that shows failure. And can I tell you, God never intended for Eglon to control them. But because of their sin, they became under the control of Eglon. God never intended. Now Moses tells the children of Israel when they go into Egypt, then when they get out of Egypt and they go in the promised land, that part of my plan is for Eglon to control them for about 18 years. That was never the plan. They put themselves under the control of Eglon. Just like I put myself 
under the control of someone else. And, can, and hear me of this. When you give into sin, that which you gave unto will control you. Let me say that again. When you give into sin, that which you gave unto will control you. It will control you. And in verse 13, as we said, you know, you see all these people, the children of Ammon, the children of Amalek, all those people, they already had victory over them and victory over them, and, and they re relinquished it back. And, and by the way, just a little side note, and I read it on purpose, verse 17. What does it say about Eglon, the very last thing? He was a very fat man. You want to know why he was fat? He spent 18 years feeding off Israel. He spent 18 years, and we'll read it when actually Ehud does the job and kills him. And it's a pretty cool passage, I'll just be honest with you. We're not getting there yet. I know I'm going to be able to jump through all of it. Eglon was so big, he couldn't stand for so long. So big. But Eglon got fat, very fat. So fat that God wants us to remember for the rest of eternity. We have a Bible that Eglon was not a skinny guy. He was a very, very fat man. But Eglon fed off what Israel worked for. Can you tell you whatever that sin is in your life, that long-term sin that's ruling you, it is feeding off the important things of your life. It's feeding off those things that, that has no business. And what happened is, you know, they, they had to get desperate. You know, wonder if one day one of the parents said, I'm tired of raising my kids and giving them to the Moabites. I'm tired of raising my daughter and seeing them marry a Moabite guy and, and turn away. I, they at one point, they had to get tired of it. And, and you see here, after 18 years, and you know, as I talk about Eglon being a fat guy, I have in my notes this, stop feeding your sin, Phil. Stop feeding your sin. You know, and, and what are you, and you say, well, how do I do that? What, do you, what, did you, what have you fed your mind this week? What have you watched? What have you listened to? What have you allowed in your presence? To people to talk about things to visualize, things to do. What have you allowed? What have you fed yourself with? And after 18 years, they were tired of working, sowing, reaping, and giving it all to Eglon. And can I tell you, you can be a child of God and go through the motions every day and every Sunday and everything that's beneficial coming out of your life, you're giving it to Eglon. You're giving it to sin. And you're feeding that. And after 18 years, they were frustrated and tired of Eglon oppressing them. And my question, I guess, tonight is this. Are you frustrated and tired of your sin yet? That long-term sin, that sin that's just not just the little thing you put aside, but the thing you get forgiveness of and you keep battling, you keep going back to it. And you Have you gotten tired of it yet? Have you got frustrated with yourself about it? Then you know what the answer is? Cry out to God. Cry out desperately to God. Cry out to him. Dive in his word. Cry out to him. Give it to God. You say, Phil, I, I just can't. If I'm on a device, I'm going to click on something I shouldn't. Phil, if I hear people disagree about things, I'm going to say some ugly back to that person. If, if somebody upsets me, I'm going to use the wrong kind of language. You know, I, I can't go hours having the wrong kind of thoughts. You know, I, I can't help but have pride and feel better than myself and other people. You know, I can't stop drinking or I can't stop watching or listening to things I shouldn't listen to then my question to you is this, are you tired of it yet? We complain about sin being our, our master, but we're not that tired of it yet. We're not that tired of it yet because we're not giving it to God. And think about this, and, I, and I'm, I'm about done. Why didn't the children of Israel 
cry out to God after 10 years of serving Eglon. They weren't tired of Eglon being their master yet. Why didn't they cry out after 15 years? I mean, it was eight years with Cushing. They weren't at the point where they were desperate for God yet. We will never get rid of a long-term sin in our life until we get to the part where we're so desperate that only God can be the one that can free us from it. And that begins with crying out to him. God is the only way. You may have been battling it all your life, but God is the only, but, but God's the only way. I, I'll put it to you like this. You may say, Phil, it's been a lot longer than 18 years of my life with this. Can I tell you what's wonderful about this passage? And when you read the first part of verse 15, I don't care how long you've been battling that sin, God is only a cry away. Well, God's going to take years and years and years to change me. He, he saved a whole nation like that. He rose up Ehud like that. Just like that. He raised him up and delivered them. But they had to get to the point where they were tired of them. And, and understand me when I say this. You say, well, Phil, does that mean that if I fall into sin, I can't call you? <laughs> yes, call me. I'll pray with you. But call on him quicker than you call on me. Call on God quicker than you call on me. I want you to. If, you, if you're struggling with something and you want me to pray with you in your life, I will pray with you. I will do what I can. I have people in my life that I call out to. When I'm struggling and sin and things in my life, I'm made of the same stuff you are. But there's something wrong when we call out to people and we don't call out to God. Because when I call out to people and don't call out to God, I'm saying this. I want you to make me feel better about being me. When I call out to God, I'm saying I'm willing for you to change whatever in my life is not right. I'm willing you to wipe. I want you to wipe the slate clean. And it just means being honest with him. And if I'm serving sin, I've got to realize it's not because God wants me to. God wants me to be Philippians 2.13. For as God working in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Is 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And I close with this statement. And we don't get time to look at it, but I encourage you sometime to read Romans 6, especially verses um, 4 through 18. But somewhere, brothers and sisters in Christ, somewhere we got to wake up to the reality of this is not what God wants me to belong to. We have got to wake up to that. We've got to wake up to the reality of whatever your long-term, my long-term says. We've got to wake up to this is not what God wants. But do I want God more? Do I love Jesus more? And so tonight, and I don't know if you'll come back for the rest of it or not. But I'll tell you, the first step to getting over long-term sin, which we all fight with, you've got to be desperate enough. It begins with a cry. It's got to get to the point where you're tired of it. And you realize that only God can do something about it. Appreciate you being here tonight. Let's stand together and we'll close in a word of prayer.